So it's really good to see everybody. We're going to open up with a word of prayer. Then we'll quickly review what we talked about last week because it's the second part of the two-part class that we're doing. And uh, then we'll get right into the text. So let's, um, let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to come together to eat a good meal that was provided for us. Thank you for those who provided the meal for us. Bless them for their service. And we thank you for the food that was given to us. Bless that food to our body so that we can serve you. And now we come not only to just feed our stomachs, but to feed our souls. And through that, we need your word and your spirit. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us in this little bit of time that we have together. Open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our lives to your truth. Help us to receive that truth. Help us to believe that truth. And give us the strength and willingness to walk in that truth so that others might know you as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last time we were together, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, I think all of y'all have been a part of our class for the last couple of years, so y'all know we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at this point in the story, we're in Luke chapter 10. So if you'll turn really quickly with me to Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 30 through 37 and we're going to quickly review what we talked about last week we're going to try to get through the story of the good samaritan and we're going to try to get through the end of luke chapter 10 today so uh turn with me there and let's look and see what it says jesus replied and said a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil on them and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the man said to him, The one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said, Go and do the same. All right, so this is the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And who remembers what we said last week? What is a parable? What is the definition of a parable? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Fantastic, Jay. Way to be be sharp. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is And so Jesus would often tell these parables as a way to separate the crowd. You think that a parable is a story that helps you to understand the the meaning behind it better. And for those who are believers, for those who the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, it actually does that. So in one of the parables, in the parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus said the parables are basically a way to separate the believer and the non-believer. Or those who are being drawn by the Holy Spirit to God and those who are rejecting God. So when Jesus would tell these parables, he would tell the parable to a whole crowd of people. 
And some of the people in the crowd would go, what is this wackadoo man talking about? And just walk away and not ever think about it again. And the reason for that is, is because their hearts were not prepared to receive the truth of God. But for those who were being drawn into the kingdom, they would hear those stories and they would start asking questions and going, wait a minute, what does that mean? And they would start looking for the answers behind what the story was telling and so parables are often a way to separate the sheep and the goats. A goat would be a non-believer. A sheep would be one of Jesus's, right? And so when he would tell these parables, the sheep would be attracted to that story. They would want to know more about what it teaches. And so why, what do we learn from this parable? Well, remember, in this story, Jesus had been talking to a lawyer. Right? And what did we say a lawyer was? Does anybody remember? In the Bible. <laughs> the, right? A uh, uh, lawyer was a, a, a person that knew the Bible. The law. Good. The law Very good. Bible, yeah. That's exactly right. And so that's a, the law had. That, right. So the Bible was, uh, or a lawyer was a person who was uh, an interpreter and a a keeper of and a advisor of the law. They knew the Word of God. They knew the Scriptures. And they interpreted them. And they told other people how to live by them. And so the problem is, is that this lawyer asked a question to Jesus. And he asked Jesus the question, What must I do to what? Does anybody remember what the question was? To inherit eternal life. Eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, who remembers why we said that was a trick question? Why is that? Now, the guy didn't know well, it was a trick. Because he, uh, he was, uh, you said something about him being selfish. Well, so, he was selfish. Well, because he was a lawyer, you should have known. No, but, but think about it. Remember what we said. What must I do? Oh, you don't do nothing to have the love. Uh, the inheritance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't do nothing. What to is the inheritance? What is the inheritance? In this case, it's eternal life. Eternal life, right? Eternal life. Now, I want us to turn really quickly over to a passage of Scripture. Keep your mark there in Luke. And let's go look in the book of Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Good. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. Look what it says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, that spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, and indulging the desires of our flesh and of our minds, and were by nature children of wrath, like even like the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now here's where we want to focus. Look what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. 
It is a gift of God, not of a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, now really quickly, y'all remember when we were having lunch before the class started? And remember how Heather said that she had lived in her past in a certain way, but she got caught, right? She got in trouble, and what did she say she immediately did? She changed her life around. She stopped living that way and started living another way. Now, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that turn their own lives around for the better. But this passage shows us that it is Christ Jesus. Yeah who turns our lives around for us yeah. by changing our hearts. See, there are a lot of people that are... There are a lot of people today, you can go to an AA meeting and you can meet people who have a 30-year chip. They haven't had a drink in 30 years, right? But does anybody know what a dry alcoholic is? <laughs> yes, somebody that's not drinking and just still don't get it. Yeah, somebody who's not drinking, but they don't get it. Not only that... If they could drink and not get caught, or they could drink and not get in trouble. That's what I was thinking a dry alcoholic was. Right. It's somebody who has forced themselves to stop drinking, but in their heart, they really wish they could still. Yeah, they still wish that they could. You see? And there are a lot of people in life who are robbers and thieves and murderers and liars that turn their lives around on the outside, but on the inside, they're still robbers, thieves, and liars. And what kind of person do they or do they usually become? What did you say, Lori? A person who is forced to stop doing something, not because they want to, but they have to. They're unhappy. And they're not going to stay sober without Christ. They're just not. Well, what this passage is teaching us: we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive. He reached in and changed our heart and changed our desires so that we would no longer want to be that person that we used to be. So do you see the difference in the two people? One person can turn their life around because they have to. All right? Somebody's a drug addict. They get busted. They get put in jail. They can't be a drug addict anymore, can they? Or not really. Because why? Because their supply's been cut off. So they're forced to be sober. Not so much in jail anymore. Right? They're forced to be sober. Now, right, there, now right. granted, there are people that slip drugs into jail. Right. We get But the point being right. is they can't go on living their life the way right. that they used to. But as soon as they get out of jail, what do they do? They run right back to that life again. All right? The true child of God, the true child of God has a heart change. And if their heart changes, what happens to their life? They change too. It changes as well. Nathaniel, Steve gave us a new rule for everybody to use a regular Bible instead of their Phone because yep. he wants folks to <coughs> he wants learn you to look it up. where he wants to know he wants yeah. you to know which, which so if you ever caught without your phone, you got a Bible and you, and you got a Bible, you don't have to get yeah. so, so to, to emphasize again what we've been talking about today, this passage shows us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, allowing the spirit of the devil to drive our lusts and our desires, and we were living a life where we were literally dead on our feet. But God reached down into this world full of busted people, and He saved us by His grace. Now look at verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not yourself. It is a gift of God. Do y'all see that? It is a gift of God. So listen to the passage again. By grace you have been saved by faith, 
and it is a gift of God. So well, how did the Catholics right? get that wrong? What is the Free. what is the gift? Listen again. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so the gift is being saved. Gift is being saved. Anybody else? Uh, let's read it again. The, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Grace. It's an inheritance. It's an inheritance. Good, Julie. Right, so which, what is he talking about? What is the it? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. What, what is the it? The inheritance. Good. The faith. inheritance. But it's actually all three. All right? It's a trick question. I'm asking you a trick question. Grace is a gift from God. You do not earn God's grace. Remember all of these people in this passage? They were dead. What can a get dead person earn? If you're dead, are they going to give you a check at work? Yep. No, because you didn't earn it, you see? But grace is a gift from God. It's not something you do, it's something God does for you. Salvation is a gift from God. You don't earn salvation that's given to you. And your faith, your ability to believe in God is a gift too. So all three of those things are a gift. Now, what do you do to inherit a gift? Nothing. Nothing. You just take it. You see how that works? All right, now look. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. What does it mean to boast? Brag. Brag. All right, now, keep your finger there because we're coming right back there, but I want you to turn back to the Luke 11 passage, and let's look and see what this priest said. Look in verse 29, or verse 26. 25. The lawyer stood up and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, You know what is written in the law. How does it read? The man said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, Jesus said, If you want to do something to inherit eternal life, love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. Now, but if I can go to heaven, if I can go to heaven, Where? Luke 11, 25 through okay. 29. But watch. If I can go to heaven because I love God with all my heart and I love my neighbor like I love myself, then who's getting me to heaven? Listen again. If I can get to heaven because I love God with all my heart and love my neighbor like I love myself, then who's getting me to heaven? I. It's what I'm doing. I love God with all my heart, and I love my neighbor as myself. That's getting me to heaven. What it, does that cause me to do? It caused me to boast. What does it mean to boast? Right. To brag. So when I get to heaven one day, I can stand before God and say, Well, I loved you with all my heart, my mind, and my soul, and my strength. And I love my neighbor like I love myself. So let me in. Now, what's the problem with that? What is the problem with that? The problem with that is is that there's not a single one of us in this room that in the last 30 minutes have loved God with all of our heart and loved our neighbor as we loved ourselves. Our hearts are naturally prone to love self and not God and others. In our fallen nature, that's who we love. We love me. You see, we love me. That's who we love. And just like an alcoholic loves alcohol, a drug addict loves drugs, a sex addict loves sex, 
And so what do they think about? They think about the things they love. And what is it that they truly love? Themselves and the drugs, the alcohol, the sex gratifies self. But when God comes into your life and changes your heart, then where does your focus then go? To God and to neighbor. Now, does that mean that now that I'm a Christian and now that I have a regenerate heart that I never think about me? Oh, no. It's a constant battle every day. I fight me every day. You see? But the difference in me now today and the me from 20 years ago is I didn't fight back then. I didn't struggle to love God and love my neighbor. But that's also a gift from God in itself. Yeah, you're exactly right. Now watch what it says. Look what it says there. For by grace you have been saved. We're backing the Ephesians passage now. Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. <clears throat> not of works lest any man should boast. Alright, so we've talked about that. Everybody understand what that means? Mm -hmm. But then look what the next passage says in verse 9, 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, why did God save us? Whose work was it that saved us? God. And why did His work save us? So that we could do His work. So once we are saved, <laughs> it is now our duty, our obligation to love God and to love others. So what should our work look like the rest of our lives? Loving God and loving others. And so this going back now to the parable, back to Luke 10, what Jesus is saying is, you don't do anything to inherit eternal life. And inheritance is a gift from God. But once you have that inheritance, once you have that new heart, once you have that new life, it is now your duty and your obligation to love God and to love others. And the difference in the child of God and the child of the world is that the child of the world will still continue to love who? Self, but the child of God, because he or she has a new heart, will now love God and love other people even more than they love themselves. What, what chapter is it in where, where Jesus gives a new commandment to, to love one another? Is that in John? Mm, it's, in, it's in a couple of places in the gospel. Yeah. A new commandment I leave you, that is in John. Yeah. A new commandment I leave you to love others as I have loved you. Yeah. So he sets the example. Now, the lawyer said, look at verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, he said, who are my neighbors? All right? So, wishing to justify who? Himself. himself. So who is this focus on? Himself. himself. And what does this man do for a living? Lawyer. He's a lawyer. So what do you think he's going to do to justify himself? He's going to go right to the law that he knows and say, how can I use that to justify myself? And the problem with trying to justify yourself with the law is that you can never live up to all of its standards. Because how many times do you have to be guilty in order to break the law? Once. Just once. So even though you might not be a murderer, or even though you might not be a rapist, or even though you might not be a burglar or a thief, if you have hate in your heart, you have broken God's law. See? 
And our tendency is to justify ourselves. Our tendency is to forget the sins that we commit and look at other people's sins. Well, at least I'm not like him. Mm -hmm. At least I'm not like her. Well, you know what you're doing? You're justifying yourself by tearing others down. And what? how many people does the law tear down? Everybody. Everybody. We're all guilty before the law. So do you see the lawyer's problem with trying to use the law to justify himself? He thinks it's justifying him, but in reality it's actually what? It's condemning him, isn't it? So what Jesus says, he said, well, who is my neighbor? So now Jesus is going to give him a description of who a, a, what a, a real neighbor looks like. And in the story, we have a man who is um, beaten and robbed and laying stripped on the road half dead. Right? And it says, the first person that comes is a priest. The priests work in the temple. They work for God, right? And if you notice in it, it says, he was going down the road. He was leaving work. He was leaving work. Now remember, the temple is up on top of a hill. Mm -hmm. And this man comes down the hill from Jerusalem going towards Samaria. Now what's funny is, the way the road to Samaria is north. Let me, the, uh, let me, y'all see that map over there? Mm-hmm. Alright, see down in the bottom where it says Judea in the, in the teal color? Mm-hmm. And see where it says Jerusalem there? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the temple is. Now, do y'all see the purple up there where it says Samaria? Mm-hmm. Alright, so this man was coming down from the temple in Judea and heading up towards Samaria. He was going north. That's a long walk. Yeah, this is 60 miles. But he, he wasn't going exactly to Samaria. He was coming down. But this uh, Samaritan, the man that lived from Samaria, was they were crossing paths. Now, the reality is, is this man was traveling north, but it said he was going down. Down the mountain. Now, any of us know that I'm, we don't say I'm going down to New York, do we? <laughs> go up to New York. I go up to New York. I go down to Miami. Yeah, but we do say we're going down to the river, and it's north. Right. Well, well, no, no, no. We go down to the river because the river is at sea level. You have to. It's still north. Your elevation. Well, it depends on what river. If we're talking about if you if but, you're talking but that's about that's what I'm saying, maybe he was coming. If you're down talking about the St. John's River, we would have to go down because it's in right. Jacksonville. But he was probably coming down from the mountain. He was coming down from the temple. So when it says he's coming down, he's leaving his religious duties and coming down. We still have. Right. Going. So one of the ways you can think about that is me and you coming down out of the church house, right? <laughs> We've been up there with all those holy, holy, holy people. Now we coming down into the world of sinners, right? If you want to look down on people. That's kind of the point he's making here is that this man is a religious guy. He don't cuss, he don't drink, he don't smoke, he don't chew, and he don't hang around with people that do. He's a religious guy, and he comes down off the mountain, and who does he see laying on the side of the road? He can't be that religious if he's seen Buddy half dead. <laughs> That's right, but he was very religious, and he did not want to mess up his good clothes by touching oh, that man. man. Really? Huh? That's, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Practicing the religion, right. but he wasn't a Look what it said in verse 31. The priest was going down. He saw him and passed by. Not just did he pass by. He went to the other side of the road yep. to avoid Then him. a Levite, who is somebody else who works in the temple, he came down. And what did he do? He saw him and he went by the other way. Both of these men saw the man 
and walk the other way. How many of y'all have ever been riding down the road and saw somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road and passed right on by them and then about 10, about 10 minutes down the road you're thinking, man, I should have probably stopped to help that person. Right? You ever felt like that? Sometimes if I'm in a hurry, I'll pray for them on the way Right. But what did Jesus say about that? He said, if somebody comes to you and they're cold, don't say, oh, I'll pray for you. He said, give them a coat. Like, a prayer ain't going to keep them warm. You see? <laughs> now, again, listen to me. Because this is so important for us to remember. What did Jesus say? We were created unto good works. Right? We were saved by faith and grace. And it's not of our works, but we were saved for good works. The purpose and the reason that God saved you was because he's a merciful God and he was compassionate. And the point of the story that Jesus is trying to make is, is that Jesus saw me and you laying stripped and naked on, a, on the road. That there was a world around us that beat us down yep. and stripped us of every bit of humanity that we yep. had and Everybody left us for dead. And that God, being rich in mercy, reached down into a world full of broken and wicked people and saw a broken and wicked person and saved you and changed your life and gave you the and gift of eternal day, life. Still wonder why right? me. And so the reality is, is that if we understand that mercy in our lives then we are certainly going to want to share that same type of mercy with other people. That's the point he's trying to make. Well, it's here. interesting that you use the expression you're broken and, and naked and all that because my mind went straight to the cross. Mm. And, you know, and that's what Christ did for us. Good. And we're going to we're gonna see that in just a minute, Dave. That is an awesome point that you're bringing up. We're going to look at another passage of Scripture that's going to show us that. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, I just went through my head. So, this Samaritan was on a journey, came upon him. Now, a Samaritan is somebody who's a half-breed, right? A Samaritan is somebody who's half-Jewish and half-Assyrian. Now, what, 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 do, what is the tendency when we, we see half-breed people? Like, what is our tendency? They don't fit in anywhere. They don't fit in, right? Why? Because they're of two they're different races. Like, like the Samaritan world, maybe because they were all Samaritans, but... Like my grandmother was half French and half Blackfoot Indian, and so the Indians didn't really want nothing to do with her. Good. And then so she's an outcast in both societies. She was right? outcast Good. In both societies. All right. So the point is this: this man was an outcast. Jewish people, a priest or a, a priest, a Jewish priest would pray this every morning. God, thank you for not making me a, a woman. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a Samaritan. That would be three things that a Jewish man would pray every day in the morning time. Thank you for not making me a woman. Why a woman? Because women were less. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a Samaritan. Right? Because Samaritans were half-breeds. In that prayer, he's looking down on people that that he thinks are what? Lesser, inferior to him. And so the point is, is that this Samaritan would have been a person who was a felt in fear. Other people constantly condemn him and and look down well, on that's, him. That's if they're out of the Samaritan culture. And yeah. That's why they stayed in that culture. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So this guy is a Samaritan. When Jesus is telling the story, remember the reaction to calling like. It, they actually told Jesus, they said, you got a demon and you're a Samaritan. And that was like a racial slur. To call somebody, for a Jew to call somebody a Samaritan was a racial slur. 
in, in the same way that you can think of racial slurs that we use today that we call other people. It was a racial slur. So a Samaritan was a low-down person. And Jesus is using this Samaritan as a point. What is the point? That don't take somebody's outward appearance for who they are. Don't judge them for by, by their race. We're not even supposed to judge people. Don't judge them don't by the race. Don't judge them by the clothes that they're wearing. Don't judge them. Right? But what can't? how can we judge this man? By his actions. And what do we know? We know that he knows God's mercy. Why? Because he shared God's mercy with someone. Because he was merciful. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to be taking people just because somebody's a, got a, a, a bunch of PhDs on the wall behind them. We, we, don't, we don't have to revere that person and look up to them like they're something special. And just because somebody hadn't got any clothes and maybe they ain't had a bath in a couple of days, right? It's not a reason for us to look down our nose on them because that's somebody's kid. Well, I'm tell you and when it comes to all of this other stuff, even like race, I want you to think about this. This is very important to remember. Jesus came and died on the cross to save the human race. And the moment that we begin to lift up or tear down another race of people besides ourselves is the moment that we forget that we are one race. And the amount of melanin in your skin or the accent that you speak with or the culture that you're from has nothing to do with the fact that you are of the human race. Because I see it like this too because at the end of the day, God is the one that put people on earth. So at the end of the day, we're technically related to each other because Adam and Eve were the first ones on, on earth. We're right? all in one race. So we technically related to each other, so I don't see why we gotta downgrade another you know, another well, some person. Some people can't esteem themselves so they have to degrade other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in the remember what the remember what the lawyer was doing? In order to justify himself. himself. And that's what we do when we tear another race down. We lift our race up by tearing another race down. And the reality is, the underlying reality is, is that we're all one what? One race. race. Mm-hmm. And so what does Jesus say? He said this man, he, this Samaritan was on a journey. Journey. He came and he felt compassion. All right? Now, Julie brought up a good point last week. What did you say about the Levite and the priest when they walked by and didn't help they the man? They're not godly people. Huh? They're not, god, they don't They're not godly, godly people, people, but who do they care about? What did you say last week? They They're selfish. Mm-hmm. They're selfish. Well, what is compassion? Unselfishness. It's unselfishness. It's caring about other people in the same way that you care about yourself. I mean, but but to be honest with you, you, you can care about other people, but... Let's say, you know, you, you've been caring about other people and then when it's time for you to get a little caring in your life, nobody is there. Mm-hmm. So you're going to automatically, you know, like, switch to the other side and just leave everybody, you know, yeah, I don't give, I don't care about you, none of that, and live your life, right? Well, what is, what, remember, what Jesus taught us, it is better to yeah, give than receive. Now, there's always going to be that part of me, my human nature that wants to receive. I want you to do for me. But the reality is it's not about me. It's about others. It's about God and others. So I hear people say this all the time. I hear people say this all the time. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Right? How many of y'all have ever heard that before? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Is it true? 
Can you yes. be a Christian and not go to church? Yes. yes. But listen, but listen, this is here, here's what's important about that statement. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm justifying who? Myself. You see, but here's the reality. Going to church is not about you. But you know, going to so church. So I can say we don't have to go to church. Going to church is not about you. It's going to us. church is going to do what? Worship, worship God. God. So it's about God and fellowship with fellowship your family. Right. So it's so about it's God our, and others. And, and we so what you're pretty much saying is, and if it, I don't say it, is in those periods of time that they, you know, because like you're saying, we all go on this up and down scale. You know, one day you might stop for the guy on the so side of the road with the listen, and, and the next time you may not. But coming to meetings like this and going to church is where you keep being reminded that that person on the side of the road is you. Good. All right. And that's why we need to go to church and go to Bible studies and things like that. So, so we instead of saying I, I can say we. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of saying I, right? So and who is the we? Who is the we? The family of God. The so, body of Christ. So, so instead of saying I, I don't want to go to church. I mean, I'm not going to church because I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can say we don't have to go to church because we don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's not justifying myself, but- right? You, no, you're trying to justify yourself you're by including you in a group of people. You, you try, you're still trying to justify yourself. Dude. Just go to church. Love God and love your neighbor. Yep. It's more than about you laying in your bed, right? I go yes. to church. All right, now watch. If, so Jesus asked the man, he says, verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in Robert's hands? Now, the point that he made was is that the man took this guy, put him on his own donkey, took him to a, a, a inn, gave the man money, two days' worth of salary, and bandaged him up with wine and oil. That stuff costs money and bandages. Like So this man sacrificed of himself to take care of this other man. It costs him to have to help this guy. And he also offered to pay whatever extra. Yeah. So he is going beyond just help. He's going to the point of being sacrificially helpful. Like, this is going to hurt me to help you. Now, what is the ultimate expression of this is going to hurt me to help you? Sacrifice. Yeah. Who And who did that? Christ. Christ. Jesus. Jesus did. So the point Jesus is trying to make is, is that if we truly have faith, if we truly love God, if we truly love neighbor which the law commands us to do, love God and love neighbor, then it's going to come out in our lives in a way that looks like sacrifice. Now, two more passages. I want to get to what Dave brought up because this is very important. Flip with me back to the book of Galatians. Galatians. Oh, we say Revelation? No, Galatians. Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Well, it's the, after 2 Corinthians, the book of Galatians. Alright. Everybody there? Yeah. Lori's looking at her fingernail. Alright, Galatians chapter 2. Oh, turn right back to it. Alright. Galatians. Right here, right? Galatians? Yeah. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Look what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what Paul is saying right here is, I, when Jesus died on that cross, I died with him there. I am crucified with Christ. So what did Christ do on the cross? He gave himself up as a sacrifice for his sheep. Remember what he said? I, I, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. So what that means is, is if you truly are his child, when he was hanging on that cross, you were on his heart. He was thinking of you and all of the sins that you've ever committed, have committed, are committing, and will commit tomorrow. And how many of those sins did he pay for when he died? So Jesus came as the king of kings, humbled himself and became a man and walked among us and lived a life we couldn't live and died a death we deserved so that we could have a life that we could never earn. And what Paul is saying right here is, I died with Jesus on that cross. And the rest of my life should reflect that death. It should be a death to self and living for others. A death to self and living for others. And who are the others that we're supposed to live for? What do we learn? Love who? God and neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. So who are we commanded to love? God and neighbor. And if I have died with Christ on the cross, then who died on the cross? Jesus died on the cross. And who else died on the cross? Me. Me. Self. It's not about me anymore. That self is still hanging. Right? Dead. They buried it in the ground. But I've been raised again as a new person. And who does that new person live for? God and others. All right, so one more passage, and then we got to okay, get. And then I have a question. I've had okay. Trouble with. All right, so turn back a couple uh, for a couple more pages to. Uh, let me see, Ephesians chapter four. It's Galatians. It's the next book after Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter four. Philippians. Y'all found it? Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. What verse? We're going to look at verses 17 through 5 3. So look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality for the practices of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now that word sensuality, guys, ladies, means sensual in nature. Your senses are your, what are your five senses? Sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. A sensual person is someone who lives for things that look good, smell good, taste good, sound good, and feel good. That's what a sensual person is. Right? We were talking about our controlling our diets before we started class today, right? I give in to my sensual nature all the time. I always keep a big bucket of Bluebell ice cream in my freezer. And many nights at about 10.30 at night, I eat a big giant bowl of Bluebell before I go to bed. 
That it's simply a... How do you sleep with that? Uh, like, a, like a baby. Yeah, like a baby with a bottle. And, and the reality is, is that is that bluebell ice cream good for me? Nope. No, no, not necessarily. But it tastes good, and it makes me feel good to eat it. All right? Now, that's just a really light and humorous example of that. But there are many people every night that are consumed with their sensual appetites. And before they go to sleep at night, they have to fill it. You see? They're living in a sensual nature. And what G, what Paul is teaching us here is that a Christian who is walking with Christ has died to that sensual nature. We don't live anymore chasing after those things. Look what he says, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you've heard of him and have been taught by him, just as the truth in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life. All right? Remember, Heather, you said at the beginning of the class. I had a rough life. I did some really bad things, but I've turned away from those things. That was your former life. All right? And look what he says. In reference to your former life, lay aside old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's that whole race thing. We're the human race, and as children of God, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lie to your brothers and sisters. Live in truth with them. Look in verse uh, 25, uh, 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. All right? Now, do we ever get angry? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. we certainly do. But that means don't, don't, don't sleep. Don't dwell on it. Yeah. And let it go. Forgive other people. Mm-hmm. You see? So don't lie and forgive other people. And look at verse 27. And do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with those who are in need. Now watch. What he says right here, my pastor was talking about this this week at church. Not only are we supposed to stop stealing, but we're supposed to start working. And what is the purpose for working? So that we can have a big bank account? Is that what it says? Work so you can have a big bank account. Yeah. No, look what it says. The one that steals, stop stealing, but rather labor. Work with your hands so that you will have something to share with those in need. So watch what he's showing us there. When I lived for self, what did I do? I stole. I took from other See, people. And you didn't get to keep none of those ill-gotten right? gains either. What did I do when I lived for self? I God stole made- and kept it for me. But what he's saying here is that if God has worked in my heart and my life has changed, my desire is now to work and not only work so that I can have a paycheck for myself, but so that I can have money to do good for and others. And it's very important to know that we need to be able to take care of ourselves and have a roof over our heads so that we can help other people. All right. Now, verse 29, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all of the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, this is what Dave brought up. Look at verse 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God 
as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. All right, so what he's saying there is Jesus came to this earth, humbled himself and became a man and walked among us and showed us what it looks like to love. And what does it look like to love? To die to self and to live for God and neighbor. That's what true love looks like. It looks like dying to yourself and living for God and other people. And Jesus did that. And not only did he live that life, but he died that life. When he was dying on the cross, it wasn't just so he could be a martyr and win props with his Father in heaven. He was dying on that cross because his sacrifice had to take place in order that we could have salvation and forgiveness. So even in dying, Jesus was living for us. And so what it teaches me and you is that our lives now should look like a life of living for who? God and neighbors and dying to ourselves. You see how that works? That's what our life should look like. And if God has changed our hearts, that's what our life will look like. Now, will it be perfect? Will every day be perfect? No. I'm gonna. I have my selfish. I, I have my selfish fits. We all do. But if God is truly at work in your heart, He's gonna come out in your life. And that's what He was trying to teach that lawyer. It takes more than just knowing the law. It takes more than just knowing thou shalt not steal. It takes knowing that not only should I not steal, but I should work so that I can give. You see how that works? It's not just about not stealing. It's about working with my hands, not for me, but so that I can provide for others. And that's so important for us to remember. All right, Laura, you had a question, and then we have one more little quick passage to look at. Okay, so where was it back here? Wait a minute. Back at Luke? In Galatians. Okay, in Galatians. And we was in? Galatians 2.20. 2.20. So it was the, the 21. I... I do not nullify the grace of God for its righteousness. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What does it mean, I do not nullify the grace of God? Okay. All right, that's an outstanding question. What does it mean to nullify something? What's the word nullify, first of all? Negate it. All right, what does that mean? If I nullify my marriage, what is that called? Divorce. Divorce. That means to, what? So what does it mean to nullify something? To get to, rid of it. To get rid of it and count it as nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. I do not nullify the grace of God. Now, grace is an inheritance for God, isn't it? It's a gift. Do we deserve it? Yeah. No. No. Well, no, no. No. Not at all. Yeah, no. So how could I nullify the grace of God? By being blessed by the grace of God and then ignoring it. Or not accepting it. No, neither one of those nullify that grace. It's still there. To nullify the grace of God, Paul puts it in another way in another passage, and I I, I'm, I'm, I wish I could pull it off the top of my head what, what it is, but he says this. You, you have fallen from grace. You that seek to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. So grace is a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What does it mean to boast? Brag. Now, how could a person brag? So, if I go get to go to heaven based on what I do, then who got me to heaven? You. 
Yeah, but me. that ain't going to happen. That's exactly right. But by making that statement, I'm nullifying the grace of God. Now, what was the statement? And you're again? misleading other folks that possibly God is yes, calling. Yes, but what do I mean by I'm nullifying the grace of God? Grace is a gift. And the moment that I try to add something to what God has done so that I can go to heaven, I've nullified that grace. In other words, grace plus nothing equals salvation. But if I were to say, well, it is grace, but I also have to be baptized, then I'm adding something to God's you're grace. Nullifying. I'm nullifying His grace. I'm saying that His grace is if not enough. If you add anything to it, you're nullifying what's Read really the there. verse again, would you? Okay, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay. Why did Christ die on the cross? For to save me. To save us from what? Our sins. Right. Now, how do we know what our sins are? What defines what a sin is? Everything we do without Christ. What defines a sin? The law. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I read the passage again. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the the law... Christ, Christ died, died in vain. For no purpose. So what he's saying is, if you could do it by following the law, then there was no reason for Christ to come and do it himself. Okay, so and we'll finish. We were going to get into this other passage. We won't have time today. Let me finish the class with this. Remember, who is the only person that lived a life good enough to go to heaven? Christ. Jesus. So how many times did Jesus break the law? Never. Never. So not only did he do everything that the law required, but he also lived a life that shows us what the law looks like when it's lived out properly. All right? So Jesus lived a life that we could not live. What does that mean? He lived a perfect life. Why did he live the perfect life? Because God is his Because we couldn't. So when he died on the cross, was he dying for the life that he lived? No. No. He, was he wouldn't have been from, able to die for us had he, had he made a sin. He would have had to die for himself. That's exactly right. But so then, if, if, if Jesus was human just like us, so how was he able to live a perfect life? What, because he was God's child? Because he was we also God's God. We're God's children by adoption. Oh. We have to be adopted into the family to become his child. Oh. The Bible says that we are children of the, the evil one. That in Adam we all sin and we all live evilly. But God comes down and gives us a new life. And in that new life he adopts us and makes us his children. All right, but think about this. When Jesus lived the life that he lived, he lived. So one day when I get to heaven, I'm not going to get to go into heaven because of what I've done. I'm going to go to heaven because of what? Because of what Jesus has done. And that's a twofold thing. Not only did he die to pay for how many of my sins? All of them, so now I'm innocent, right? I get to go to heaven because he paid for all of my sins. There's nothing going to be on my account that I have to pay for anymore. That makes sense? But not only that, God said that the only way you go to heaven is through living perfect. So not only am I going to heaven because Jesus paid for all of my sins, but I'm also going to heaven because Jesus lived the life for me that I couldn't live. So, not only when we're saved, not only does Jesus take away our sin, but he credits us with his righteousness. How righteous is he? Perfect. 
So not only does He take away my sins, but He credits me with the life that He lived. So whose life gets me into heaven? Jesus. Whose death gets me into heaven? Jesus. Now watch. To nullify grace would mean that something that I do helps me to get there. Does that make sense? Because the moment that I say something I've done gets me there, what I've said is, well, Jesus and the things He did for me are good, but I had to add something to it. Right. I'm nullifying the, the gift. Not, not, so not even on the same level. That, the whole concept that by, by your fruits, because you should have fruits, we know that, yet your fruits aren't going to do it. Okay, good. Now remember what we said last week in our class, David. Works do not save us, but if we are saved, we will work. If our heart has been changed, it's going to come out in our lives, in our words, in our actions. There's no way we can help that. If God is in you, He's coming out of you. It has to. So, to see someone who is out there living in sin, there's a reason for us to question whether they know God or not. Because if God is in them, He's supposed to be coming out of them. Now, are there times in our lives where we fall and don't live the right way? Right? So we're kind of a bipolar tree, if you will. We put off the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit as a Christian. But it shouldn't be that way, should it? It should simply be the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and all suffering. But the fruits of the spirit, uh, the fruits of the flesh are anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, and carousing. All right? So you can be a fruit inspector. Look at your life. Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control? Or do you see anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, and drunkenness? I've left off the drunkenness. Because whatever's in you is coming out of you. You see? And so the whole story that we've been seeing here today is the fact that Jesus says that if we have died with him on the cross, then our anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, drunkenness, and carousing should still be hanging on that cross and dead, buried, gone, dead, crucified. And the new life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control should be what's spurring us on to live. And if it is, who are we going to live for? God and neighbor. All right. So next week we get back together. We'll get into another passage. We'll look at Martha and Mary a little bit. Okay? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for grace and faith and salvation. Thank you for that inheritance. I pray for every man and woman in this room that does know that gift of salvation, that you'll continue to work in our lives and help us to appreciate it more and more by living for you and others. And if there be someone here who is, or someone who is listening today who does not know you, I pray that your grace will work in their heart and show them your salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.